Jesus, we're just so grateful to be with the saints worshiping our God. We're just so thankful to be in this place today, grateful for all you've done for us, God, resting in your presence and resting in everything you've done for us, Lord. Thank you that you died for us. You cleansed us. You've healed us. You've set us free, God. We're just so grateful for all that you've done. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. And what we have is just gratitude, Lord. We just lift up our hearts. Can we just lift up praise and just with grateful hearts for all all that he's done for you. God, we just thank you today. God, we're so grateful for everything that you have done for us. Everything, God. We're so grateful for the blessings. We're so grateful for salvation, God. We're forever grateful. We honor you today. The one who is the highest honor. God has given you the highest honor. We worship you today. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. There's nothing you won't do for us. We thank you for the love you give us every day, God. Your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness. You're faithful to us every day, God. We honor you and we praise you, the highest on all the earth. You are the highest above all. And we honor you today. Hallelujah. I'm just so thankful. You know, I was thinking about... We have so many blessings. You know, there's been brand new babies born recently, and that's what a blessing. That's so wonderful. We all have struggles, you know, during the week, and we know that God's always there. He's always faithful. And his word is a sure assurance that he's going to meet our needs. And, you know, I even have a, a we have a friend who's uh leaving this earth and he said he's seen Jesus and he's hearing angels and he's feeling like they're telling him to come you know and so he what do we have to fear in this life and what hasn't God done for us it's just there's no place in life that's not really good and not doesn't have the victory written all over it because Jesus did it all for us So it's just a pleasure to worship our God together, lift up his name and uh, with the family of God today. So thank you for joining us today. Um, You can greet your neighbor. Well, I'm glad you're all here today. We have a special speaker today. And I just want to tell you, though, that Pastor Steve is not here. He's actually on a sabbatical. He's taken a break from preaching for years. We've been here for 40 years, so how many of you will give him, a, give him that, that he can take some time off? <laughs> okay, awesome. So anyway, we've asked Lauren, the worship leader. She's our worship leader, but she's also our, our daughter-in-law. We love her so much. She's a great mom, a great mother, and a great worship leader. Don't you agree? Don't you love the worship? So, yes. So here you go, Lauren. Hey, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Um, Before we get started today, I've got the privilege. Yep, I've got three Bibles up here. Sam said something about that. Um, 
Some of them say it differently, so you know you got to, and I've got a pencil in case I catch another note and it needs to be written down. Um, but I've got the privilege of taking our tithes and offerings this morning. So as I um, just say a little something, why don't you guys go ahead and prepare those ushers. Um, we've got ushers here, and if you're giving by check, you can make that out to Destiny Church. If you're giving it by cash and you would like that tax-deductible receipt, or as you can see, there's a text-to-give option that is so easy, and honestly, it's kind of fun, fulfilling to the soul. It says, thank you, and it comes back at you. Um, so take, take part of that. If you're watching online, you can send those into the church as you need. Um, but if you need an envelope, go ahead and raise your hand, and one of our ushers will help you. I was just reminded, um, we have three kids. We've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, an almost six-year-old, an almost four-year-old, and then a one-year-old. And um, they will tell you that. Uh, and we've been teaching them about giving because they see it around the church. And so we've, they got some money for Christmas. They got, actually, we were playing, what is that game? The dice game where you roll doubles, then you get to pick a prize. And one of them got a roll of quarters. And so it started this big, long conversation about what do you do with a roll of quarters? So laundry at the time, but um, <laughs> apartment living. Anyway, but we talked about, we, we give that first 10% to the Lord. And so they went and grabbed their envelopes and we counted out wh what was the total, what would be 10%. And what was beautiful to me is their heart of, we explain what a tithe was and we explain anything above that that you want to give is, is an offering and that's up to you. And, but this part is the Lord's and then this part is up to you to decide. And it was beautiful to see their generous hearts. You know, you didn't, didn't have to push. They just, out of the love of their heart, just thought, well, Jesus needs more and he needs the shiniest quarter and he needs the best. It was a Canadian coin, but it looked really unique and special because I think it had an angel on it or something like that. So Henley was like, She's, he's got to have this one. Anyway, it was beautiful to see the heart of generosity that came from an untrained, unforced heart. And it reminded me that when I give, that is the heart that, that can bring so much joy to the Father, one that's full of generosity and excitement. And, you know, Corinthians talks about the cheerful giver, the one that's excited to give and almost thinks it's funny to just throw all the money at him. <laughs> anyway, um, so I want you to take that to heart this morning. Come like a child, and um, let's just give those tithes and offerings. And while they're preparing to pass those, I think they're buckets nowadays, yes, Yes, they are. We're going to just pray. So, Father, we just thank you that we can give to you. God, thank you that we can come and that we can bring you our, our tithes and we can bring you our offerings. And, God, we just thank you that you see that and that you meet us and you partner with us, God, to give us everything we need above that even. And so right now I just bless each giver in this house. And I ask that you'd come and you'd breathe on their homes and their hearts and their finances in the name of Jesus, you have no lack. Thank you, God. So we bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. So come on up, ushers, and help us out. Thank you very much. I'm so thankful for our ushers. You never know the beauty of an usher until you don't have one when you need one. And then you're like, where are they? <laughs> and we've got some of the most intimidating faces, which I'm really, really thankful for sometimes. You don't mess around when there's an intimidating usher, you know? <laughs> okay, enough of that. Anyway, well, this morning I'm going to talk to us about worship. And um, 
it's kind of more educational than it is the thundery preaching of John the Baptist. So sit back. You know, we're here, so why not just drink in all of the goodness of God while he enlightens our hearts? There's nothing that you can do fast enough at home. So let's just sit and be trained by the word, huh? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, in fact, Jesus, we just drink you in. And we ask that you'd come and instruct our hearts. And we're thankful for this privilege to come together in unity, God, that we can, we can come boldly to you and that you come and fill the, top of the place with praise. And so right now, we just thank you for that. And I ask that you'd breathe on each word, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was reminded um, of something that happened when we first got married. We, we were so blessed. We had um, a bridal shower and another bridal shower and a wedding. And most of y'all were there. <laughs> It'll be 10 years this May. And so we made it, guys. <laughs> Let's just celebrate the victory. Anyway, um, but we, we were right after the wedding, we were moving into this, our cute little farmhouse that we had fixed up and we were just so grateful to be together and to be just beginning this beautiful life together and unpacking all the boxes and all the presents and all the, the beautiful things that we had received as you guys celebrated us. And my grandma, well, my grandmother was over and I was showing her around and um, she was quite old at the time, but she looks at me after a little while and she kind of gets emotional and she looks me in the eye and she goes, and this is unlike her, okay, but she goes, I hope you know what you have. And it was kind of a different kind of a comment from my grandma because she didn't really go there often. Um, so I was left with this feeling like, whoa, do I know what I have? Am I thankful for what I have? What do I have? And started looking around and seeing things a little bit differently. Um, my grandma, I can say this now, at the time when she was alive, she never wanted us to talk about her age. She'd always say, I'm old enough to know better and young enough to not care, and that was that. She didn't tell you the number. <laughs> so, so I can talk about it now, right, Dad? <laughs> right, Mom? <laughs> she was born in 1920, and so a lot of her formative years were spent, I mean, probably when she was just becoming aware of the world, were spent in the Depression. She was out in the boonies over by Herman, and they were farmers, and it was a large family. Um, and so I think for her, it was probably really real that she probably didn't have a lot. And, um, you know, can I just say one other thing? Tell your stories, because otherwise your grandbabies are spent kind of looking at history books. I wish I would have asked more questions to my grandma about what that looked like. However, what, we, what can we gather? We knew that she grew up in the Depression era, and then it headed into the war. And so, I mean, that, those kinds of experiences can make a view of the world different where you appreciate things, and you make it work with what you have. And so I think when she was looking at me, and I had three, no, two cucumber peelers. I got another one later. But so, yeah, we've got three of them. But when I had two cucumber peelers and all the knives I needed and all the pans I would ever want, I mean, we were so blessed. We had everything that we needed, and what we didn't have, we didn't know we needed, so it was all fine. Um, but I was so thankful when I started looking around with that perspective that maybe others didn't have this 
Maybe they didn't have the celebration. Maybe they didn't have people pouring out gifts on them. And we were so fortunate. And um, anyway, when I, when I think about worship, at least this time, I was thinking about what we have. Where did this come from? How did music come into play, <laughs> you know? Like all of those questions. I kind of grew up in this, so this is so normal to lift your hands. I mean, I grew up in the days where it was like, be bold, da, da, be strong, da, da. you know, like some of those old, for the Lord thy God is with thee. Like I remember it like yesterday, some of those songs, and they sounded like you were in Israel dancing around, and I was young, but it was really cool. It was really fun to dance. I mean, I saw my pastor when I was, we, um, we were at a different church before we came here, but I remember my pastor, he'd sit up on the chair on the stage and he'd be dancing like everybody else was dancing. And it was great. I mean, this is just so normal to me. I've been around this. But to stop and ask the question, why do we do what we do? Why is it this loud? You know, why do we lift our hands? Why can we dance? Those kinds of things. Why do we have what we have? It kind of piqued my interest as to what we do here. Um, and so it made me dig in a little deep. And so I've been on a history lesson for the last couple weeks. And I'm going to share what I found with you. Is that cool? Okay. <laughs> and honestly, I'll say this. My dad helped me out. My dad is like a historian. So I'd call him and ask him questions. And so he helped me kind of shape this message. I'm sure he could say it a lot clearer. But I will do my finest. So here we go. In the beginning was Adam and Eve. And here's what we know about Adam and Eve. Yeah, we're going there. They were in the garden. And you know what was so normal for them? God, it says that God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the evening. That was their relationship with the Lord. They had that kind of closeness and that kind of communion with the Lord. And I'm going to give the fast track about here because we know this. They ate the apple. Separation came in. Distance came in. And all of a sudden, we see offerings happening. We see Cain and Abel, and we see the difference between Abel's offering of the finest that he had and the first of his, um, the first that he gathered, and then we see Cain who offered something that he thought maybe the Lord could like, but nothing that was really important to him. The difference of an offering. And then they populated, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to go to Abraham, and that began this whole promise, this whole covenant, this whole... Um, connection with the Lord that said, I trust you more than anything, and I'll offer my, even my son, who I waited for, who I had to contend for and, and watch for, I'm going to offer him on, on this altar, because I trust you. That's what he did. The finest, the most important thing to him was upon the altar. And it said God showed up, and, and he, he said, you keep your son, because I can see your heart. It wasn't about the offering. It was about the heart from the very beginning. And then God goes, and I'll one-up you, and I'm going to meet you with that, and I will give you my son and redeem. And then we go along a couple more years, and they populated and become a, became a nation, but they were a nation in slavery. And so God sent the deliverer Moses to come and catch them out of Egypt. And as they walked out to Egypt, they saw miracles happening around them. Uh, the Red Sea parted, water came out of a rock, manna, all of it. And then when God came to them and said, now I'm going to come and you are going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. And they said, whoa, 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 you're scary. I'd rather not. 
And God was like, he was talking to Moses, and he goes, should we kill them all? And Moses was like, no, we can't do that. And so God goes, well, I'm going to give him the tablet then. Because he wanted to write those commandments, write those things, the laws of, the, of um, what would prosper them. He wanted to write it on their hearts. He wanted this to never be about a list of rules or duties. He wanted to put it upon their hearts that this would be always relational. Do you see how God from the beginning has wanted to restore this relationship, restore that it was the heart that matters to him, nothing else? But they said, no, we'd rather not. In fact, Abraham, you go. No, Moses, you go. <laughs> okay. Moses, you go. There's a lot of people in this Bible, okay? In fact, I, it gets so exciting that I'm like, I want to preach the whole thing. But you can't do that in 30 minutes. So, mm-mm. Anyway, so what happened was more distance. And now they had the ark, which symbolized the presence. Moses, or God came to Moses and he said, you know what? You just go on because there's, I prepared a land for you. It's beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey, everything that you'd ever want. You just go on because um, I can't work with this. I, God never wanted rules. He never wanted rituals. He always wanted hearts. But Moses said, I'm not going anywhere without your presence. See, but God was bound to the promise he had given them about this land. So then God went with them. But because of the distance, they had to walk through these formulas, walk through these duties, and coming before the, the ark, they couldn't even go into that place. The Holy of Holies, it was, it was set apart for only once a year that the priests could come. How many can see this was not what God wanted? And then that goes on for a little while until, and there's prophets, and there's judges, and then there's kings. And then we see David. And this is where I kind of want to talk because it's so chunky. See, David, we all know him uh, as the man after God's own heart. And I love that that's how he's remembered in Scripture. You know, sometimes I think we'd like to remember all the icky things that he did and how he has fallen. But our God doesn't define us by our falls. He, re- he defines us by the way he sees us, and he sees us at our at ours best. That's, that's the way that God remembered him, was a man after my own heart. What made him a man after his own heart? Well, let's dig in a little bit. David grew up. He was, in the sh- he was a shepherd in the field. You know, I read something that was so interesting. Why wasn't he invited into the house when Samuel came to anoint for the next king? Somebody said it could have been he was illegitimate. He wasn't even considered a son. Isn't that so cool? If it's true, God would have brought somebody so illegitimate. He would have brought somebody out of, on the outskirts so closely in. It sounds like God, I'm not quite sure, so I'm just going to say that. But he, he was anointed king at a very young age. But his world was the shepherd. He was out in, in, the, in the pasture with the sheep. And he didn't waste his time, and we all know this. He didn't waste his time. He grabbed his harp, or he grabbed his stringed instrument, or whatever instrument he could, and he started writing songs and searching the heart of the Lord. Now, I have to ask, what made him think he could do that? 
Honestly, the only time that it's really mentioned about music up to this point is when Miriam sang the song when they crossed the Red Sea. So this was radical that David would think that he could use music and use that place to find God. It was like this is the beginning of where God kind of broke all the rules for David, which to some of our hearts might unsettle us, but it's actually really beautiful. But God breathed in those moments, and he actually, I mean, you can search it in the Psalms. He saw something about God that we hadn't seen before. And he had this relationship, this love with the Lord that we see in the, in the pasture. And then what happens is he's brought in with Saul. And Saul's having a hard time because he's kind of, he's spiraling. He's spiraling, and he's kind of tormented. And then David gets brought in, and he's playing these songs over Saul. Well, who says that's part of it? I, you know, like that's all kind of new. It's all kind of radical that music is this vehicle or worship through music is this vehicle that God is coming and he's meeting people. And it says that he would play over Saul and Saul would settle back down, become himself again. And then that was that. And we, we know that he, he uh, conquered Goliath. I think that the faith that he had in that Goliath going down because that guy doesn't have a covenant with the Lord came from the moments he had experienced God in the pasture. God was so real to him. It's beautiful. You see this time and time again. Then he's on the run away from Saul. And, he's, and you know, you look at Saul. I'm sorry. This is a lot of information, but I, I see you tracking with me. You look at Saul, and Saul one time, he walked into the altar of the Lord and made a sacrifice, but he shouldn't have. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. And because of that, God was like, not cool. You're done. David walks right in and eats the bread and grabs Goliath's sword. And it's like, a-okay. You know, like he has these different rules that we see. And then going on further, the minute he became king because of his love for the presence of God, he goes out and he brings, he finds the altar or the Ark of the Covenant, and he's going to bring it into Jerusalem. You know the experience. Uzzah died. They left it at Obed-Edom's house till David kind of figured out, well, what's the deal? And so they figured out, okay, we got to make sacrifices as we go. There is a, there's a importance and a reverence that we need to have as we bring this Ark to Jerusalem. And so he goes back, and as he's bringing it in, we all know this story too, he dances. He gets, am I, kids think it's hilarious. He danced down to his linen ephod. They, they practice that at home. So anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, yeah. And David goes when he's criticized for the show of excitement and joy that the presence of God is coming. He goes, oh, I'll dance. I'll dance even more undignified. He, nothing was going to hold this guy back. No, no amount of sophistication, no amount of stature and influence and position is going to hold him back from celebrating. This was a big deal for David, and he knew it. See, where was the ark when David was born? If you, if you trace it back, the ark had been captured by the Philistines. And then it made their gods tip over because it was so powerful. And then it went around, and somebody opened it up, and they shouldn't have. And they died. So what made this guy think that he should bring it in? It's that he had such a value for God, for his presence coming. 
And not only that, he's bringing it to, to Jerusalem because he's king. But he doesn't stop there. See, technically, the ark should have gone where the priests were. And that was called the tabernacle at Gibeon. But David said, I can't do that. It's got to come to Jerusalem because that's where I have a palace and I got to bring it there. And so he brought it to the Mount of Zion. Rule breaker. But God blessed it. I just think it's, it's beautiful, this relationship with the Lord. And obviously, because of David's passion for the presence of God, God looked at him with pleasure. Because any of these other things would have probably gotten somebody else killed and did. But David got away with it because of his heart toward the presence. Because that was always the issue. The issue has always been the heart. And so we see that. And, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to 1 Chronicles 17. First Chronicles 17, and what we're going to do is we're going to pick that up where, um, <laughs> oh, you guys, the notes on this message are not clear. <laughs> so bear with me anyway. Um, you know, when he set that up at the Mount of Zion, what he actually did is he appointed musicians to play, to play on cymbals, lyres, harps, stringed instruments. He, um, he instructed that there be vocalists singing in the, around the ark. And then he put gatekeepers. I, I wondered about this. I think it's because he knew that the Philistines came and jacked at a different time. And so he was like, this isn't going anywhere. I'm going to put a lot of gatekeepers. Is that ushers? I don't know. But Josh Shaffron's got a face on him that would make you not want to do anything. And if they looked like Josh then I don't think they're going, and that ark's going anywhere. Anyway, <laughs> so it's really beautiful to see what this place looked like. The other thing was it had incense, but this incense wasn't like the other tabernacle. You know, the other tabernacle had symbols. It had um, the, the altar for burning the sacrifices, the golden lampstands, the wash basin, the, um, the place to burn incense, the actual wand of influence that would burn with the smoke. Well, see, David, he took that, and instead of it being a wand of smoke, he made it a fire of praise and passion and songs that went 24-7. See, he, he mirrored that, and I want you to see this, because in, in the other, in Moses' tabernacle, or the other one that was at Gibeon, everything had a ritual to it. And those rituals had meanings, but those meanings had been lost along the way so that all of a sudden this just became duty. But those priests would go in morning and evening, and they would offer up sacrifices to the Lord, and they would light the incense, and then they would walk away. But see, God was never after the sacrifice or the incense that was made without the heart connected to it. And this is why when you do something that's symbolic, but it actually has meaning to you, your whole heart could be changed no matter where you are. 
because this incense was made with the praise and the worship that came and it rose up to God. And you know, there's actually, there's actually words in the Hebrew language and we're going to talk about them. And, and that's what it looked like, these, these um, expressions of worship. And that went 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it never stopped. So much so that King David would look out and he would talk about the night watch. He would talk about Mount Zion is lit up. There's a fire in Mount Zion, and it's 24-7, this worship that was going up because they were hosting the presence of God. It was so valuable to them. And now that incense, the fragrance of our worship, it rises to the Lord even here today. You know, two things. We talk, I've got, like I said, I got the three kids, right? And they have attitudes every now and then. And, and when they do, we've kind of made it, make it a joke about it, but they flip around really quick. But we go, smells like poopy in here. And we're not talking about diapers. We're talking about attitudes. Yeah, or you'll see a beautiful, obedient heart running after you, and you're like, oh, it smells like honey. And they love honey. They love honey. Shafran's again, I mean, right over there, Scott's, right? The honey. You guys get it because it's so worth it. They pour it on their toast, or Sam pours it on their toast, and then mother comes and lectures about sugar. And <laughs> I, you're leaving for the day. I've got these sugared up kids. No, no. So in moderation, anyway. But we talk about their attitudes. And, you know, it can be so real for us as well. Our fragrance of our worship that rises to the Lord. Or the stench of bitterness and resentment that keeps us stuck. The stench of offense. The things that trap, trip us up and our feet. Or this love that we have that's just rising up to God. And he's so pleased by that. It's a pleasant aroma. You know, out out in the lobby, you're going to see the coffee shop, and the name of that coffee shop is actually Aroma, and how fitting, because that coffee is beautiful and wonderful, and it makes everybody's hearts happy when they smell it. I want you to think about that, our, our, our smell that rises up to the Lord as we come and we worship, but notice it's, it's our hearts. You know, what they had in, a, in, in Moses' tabernacle was smoke. But at Mount Zion, it was a fragrance. Have you ever sat in front of a bonfire and all of a sudden the smoke comes in your face and you can't breathe very well? Because it it's not good. But have you ever smelled the smell of a bonfire? See, it's the same thing. But one of them has life attached to it. One of them has the breath and oxygen attached to it. I actually read about bonfires in studying for this message, and one of the reasons why they smoke in your face <laughs> is because of the oxygen supply. And I think you can see this. God was, they were lifting up praise and worship, and God was breathing life into that place, so much so that they were so filled as that fragrance would rise. You know, I was researching this, and there's actually words that they would use for praise. And, you know, when we started talking about at the beginning what we have or looking around and what we do, if you've grown up, if you've grown up about this, you may not have thought or to ask the questions because it's so normal and your heart is so engaged. Or if you're new to this, maybe this will help uh, fill in some gaps about what you see and what you could see. But there's actually words, Hebrew words for praise which in the Psalms, this will radically change the way you read it. But one of them is called halal. 
Halal is a primary Hebrew root for praise, and that's where we get our word hallelujah. And to define that, it says to be clear, to shine, to praise, to boast, to show, to rave, celebrate, or be clamorously foolish. You know, the thing, a couple of things that stick out to me is God chose the Hebrew culture to bring out these words. He didn't use, and I'm not going to pick on you, but I kind of am, the Norwegian or the German cultures to bring out these words of praise because it might look a little different. But even so, this is God's story, and this is what it looked like. So there becomes a choice to step outside of the culture that we grew up in and step inside to the ark and the Mount Zion kind of experience. Because that's what God, honestly, it says in Acts, and we'll go there in a minute, but that's what he wants to restore. And so when we talk about these words, just keep that in mind. But halal, right? Another one is called yada, to extend a hand. There it is. That's why we lift our hands. To shout, to throw out a hand, which another one is called to shoot, which is an offensive thing. It's almost like a weapon that as you lift your hand, it's almost like you're shooting out faith in agreement with something. Therefore, worship with extended hands, lifting hands, lifting hands in faith. Do you know that the opposite is the wringing of hands? So this is a from a place of faith and confidence in the Lord that I'm standing and I'm not worrying. So I know we lifted our hands today. Another word is toda. I might be butchering these things, but it doesn't matter. An extension of the hand in adoration or acceptance. Thanking God for things not yet received as well as things already at hand. You know, one of the places that you're finding this word, Toda, is in Psalms 42. And that's the one where David goes, why are you cast down, O my soul? And then, but when it says this word, Toda, it actually is verse 4. And it says, so I speak to my soul. Take courage. Remember how you came into the sanctuary. And I could go on with that. But this actual word, sometimes you don't feel like it. And sometimes, just like our song said this morning, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. Sometimes by lifting up your hand and lifting up worship and praise, you're actually saying, come on soul, there's a higher truth right now and we're going to raise to that. Remember, remember the goodness. Now what's the difference between that and faking it? This is, this is a testimony. This is marked by faith. And so much so that you're telling your heart, no, be encouraged. God has not changed. Now lift up your heart. Lift up your heart. Lift up your hands. Lift up your countenance to the Lord. It's actually telling your soul, rise, because today we're going to praise the Lord. Another word is shabak, to shout, address in a loud tone, to command or to triumph. You know, my whole life, I've gotten some beef about being a little bit loud. I remember my mom going, hey, let's just take it down. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> I mean, with t I got a kid of my own that fits this. And I understand it now. I'm like, wow, whoo. After the coffee, then we can raise the decibels. But... This one actually says to address in a loud tone. There's a place for that in the presence of God, to be loud. Shabak. Another one is called Barak. 
It means to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration or to salute. You know what's really cool about this one? Is this is the same word when uh, God knelt down and grabbed Adam from the dust and he blessed him. It was adoration for him as a son. And it's the same way he looks at you. There's a thing in worship in Psalms 115, if you want to go there, or, well, or not, maybe on your own time. Psalms 115, where it actually says, you become what you worship. Because there's this exchange in worship where we go, Jesus, you're so beautiful. I love you. And he goes, you're so beautiful. I love you. There's this exchange where he sings back to us. Zephaniah talks about how the Lord sings over you. There's songs of deliverance that he sings over you. There's songs that there's a song that he's been singing over you since he knew you were going to be coming on the earth. Before you even were born, there was a song attached to you that the Lord was singing. And this is that same thing, to Barak, to kneel down or to bless God. And he looks at us with that same blessing and he says, oh, I bless you. It's a beautiful exchange in worship. This is where we feel our hearts changed and settled when we come to him, when we come with our whole heart. Then, in, then there's another one called zamar, which means to pluck the strings of an instrument. See, this is where instruments came in. To pluck the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise, a musical word which is largely involved with joyful expressions of music with musical instruments. Do you know what it actually talks about? The, mus- the instruments that David created, and they kept on using them when it was Solomon's temple. Like these instruments that he made. Another one is tehillah. It's kind of from halal, but it's tehillah, and it's the singing of halals, the singing of hallelujahs, to sing or to laud, but with music. And this is also in Ephesians where it talks about singing songs, spiritual songs, proverbs over one another. There's two more, but these are about clapping. Yeah, clapping. Do you ever wonder why do we do what we do? It's almost instinctual, but you kind of want to know. But to clap, it's an exaltation, a strike in exaltation. But then there's another one. That's called maka. There's another one, taka, which means, which sounds like moana, but taka, right? <laughs> Anybody with kids around six to eight, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, taka, blow, blast, strike. It's almost like that clap is a weapon of praise. You know, Ephesians talks about we don't war against flesh and blood. We war against principalities and powers. And so as we worship the Lord, we're actually, it's, a, it's an offensive act where these are our weapons of warfare and we're unseating principalities and powers in the heavenly place. But notice how we're not going to war with them. It's not like we're waving a sword. We're actually just lifting up the name of the Lord with our hearts. We're magnifying him higher and higher and higher so much so that they don't have a seat at the table anymore. Principalities and powers have to bow because he is higher. But it comes from us, sons and daughters, lifting up that praise. We're building a throne, you know, which in Psalms it says that. We're building a throne on our praise. Um, Another one is this to worship. And I'm almost done. But to worship, and I'm going to totally butcher this one, but proskinio. That's a word used for worship, and it's a gesture or movement of the body to show and express respect 
or deference. You know, one of the words that they use to describe that is a curtsy. If you've watched Jane Austen, you, Austen, you've seen the curtsies. It's a, it's a movement here to show that you are high. And I see that. And it's acknowledging importance or superiority. But another word that, or another way to describe that is to kiss the hand. Worship is actually defined, one of the words is to kiss the hand. That's a really intimate expression, but it's saying, Jesus. Come on, I'm reminded of the lady who was pouring out the oil at his feet. This story just keeps on circling in my heart um, the last few months even. But just how she poured it out, so undignified, just like David. He's, but God, or Jesus found so much pleasure in that. She just gave it all. She didn't hold anything back. And she came with such admiration and adoration. She knew who he was. And, and she knew, maybe she did, maybe she didn't, but she was anointing him for the cross. And she was pouring out her uh, admiration for him or her worship to kiss the hand. You know, worship is ardent devotion or love. Now, again, here's the thing about all this, right? This is the descriptive terms used. We really never got to Chronicles, did we? <laughs> These are the descriptive terms used to describe worship. It's a choice to participate. None of these are passive words. Now, before you think that because I'm the worship leader here, I just want you all running around and lifting your hands, and this is about pressuring you to do so, because I've been in those services. Um, this is not. This is about the heart and that nothing is off limits. Um, well, jump with me really quick, and then we'll come back to Chronicles. So if you do have your Bible. In Acts 15, I found this so interesting. It's actually a quote from Amos 9, and I'm going to wind down. But, you know, what, what was happening in this tabernacle was so important that even after it faded, God brought it back up with a prophet, and then he brought it back up in Acts. And they were discussing it. A bunch of um, the apostles were discussing it because this question of, are the Gentiles allowed to join into this thing? And if they do, do they have to do it the way we've known it? Because some of them wanted to add to the cross. They wanted to add things to the cross, like circumcision is what they've always known as their sign of covenant. But the thing is, Jesus removed that. And now the sign was accepting Jesus and acknowledging that he was, he was the Lord. He died on the cross for our sins. But they wanted to add to that experience. And so we look in Acts 15... Acts 15, it's actually 16 through 18, and it's, it's quoting, but it's Peter who stands, or who had been talking about his own experience and about how God was kind of rewriting the religious things inside of him, where he wanted to not talk to the Gentiles and invite them in and make, make ways that they had to walk through, but Jesus said no to any of that. And then all of a sudden, Jacob stands up, or James, depending upon and he said, ladies and gentlemen, listen. I love that ladies were included. Peter has, come on. Peter has explained thoroughly that God has determined to win a people for himself from among the non-Jewish nations. And the prophet's words are fulfilled. After these things, I will return to you and raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen into ruin. 
and I will restore and rebuild what David experienced so that all of humanity will be able to encounter the Lord, including the Gentiles, whom I have called to be my very own, says the Lord. For I have made known my works from eternity. What they were doing is they were saying there's no amount of ritual or duty that can be added to this place of worship. And this, what was happening in this tabernacle, which we're going to jump to, is being described years later. Years after this prophecy, years after the tabernacle had been built, because it was so dear to, to the Lord. If you want to flip back to First Chronicles 17, what happened was they brought the ark into that tabernacle, into that place of Zion, and worship was going on and on and on. And it so blessed God that he would come and he'd fill that place. But then... David, in 17, it goes, well, it says, So he left Asaph, which was like a worship leader, and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant to minister before the Ark day and night regularly. And then it talks about how he handed out cake and meat and raisins and then blessed all the people and told them, Go bless your homes. And then you see David in his house later. And so in 17, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, when David was dwelling in his house, that David said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent curtain. So then Nathan said, Go ahead and do it. But God actually came and visited Nathan in the night and said, No, 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 David's not, not to do that. Now, I've always heard this, and, and yes, it says it later on in Chronicles, that God didn't want David to build the temple because he was a man of war. But if you look at this, the decision had already been made that it was going to not be David that builds this house. So now listen. It says, so Nathan came to David the next day. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God's going, I've never asked for a house. Now, therefore, Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. And I, will be, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and cut off all of your enemies from before you, and have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. So I'm just going to stop right there and just say this. David stood there, and he had such this value for the presence that he looked out and he said, I live in a palace, and God's in a tent. This isn't right. I want to build a house for God. And before he could do that, God goes, I have no need of a house. I've never wanted a house. I've, never, I've moved with you from tent to tent, tabernacle to tabernacle. You see, the thing on God's mind wasn't a building, it was the hearts. It was to live life with, alongside, as most important. It was never about a building. It was never about a place. 
See, this had already been settled. And then I love how God goes, I've known you from the pasture. It was almost like God was going, hey, remember the pasture? Do you remember how we met in the pasture? And hey, I brought you to be the king. And it was like God was going, I know you as the king. I put you here. And I've had experiences with you. I have no need for a house. But what I've seen from you, what your worship has been, what your heart has been toward me, it goes on to say, I will, give, I will, begin, I will plant a seed from you and build a dynasty of kings that your name would go on. Now, you may think, you're looking at that, and you're going, well, of course, Solomon was the next king, and then everybody had the blood of, you know, it was like that bloodline throughout. And I'm saying, yep, Solomon, sure. But Jesus was known as the son of David. This was the thing. God so loved this, this uh, worship, this dangerous worship that didn't follow the rules, that didn't follow the rituals, that didn't want the distance, that didn't want to pretend, but that would come and dance clamorously and, and uh, be more undignified and show, shout and lift the hands and worship and kiss the feet of the king, that he wanted that to be reproduced for all of humanity. And not only that, see, David didn't limit it to just, I'm sorry, am I screaming? David didn't limit it to just the Jews. He welcomed those to come in, those that had an experience. So this would be a place for all nations, it talks about. And all through Psalms, it talks about all the nations worshiping the Lord. See, if this is the heart that, that it says, he has a, he's a man after my own heart, the one that doesn't want to pretend with me. The one that doesn't want to put up the facade and just worship me through a ritual. And the one that wants to open this thing up so that all of humanity can experience my, my love. This is the heart. The man after my own heart. You know, he goes on and yeah, he, he has a couple, he, has, he sins. Absolutely, he sins. But I think that it was this thing in David that we all can relate to. See, Jesus is going, I'm so pleased by your praise and by your worship and by you pursuing me. And David's going, wow, because he talks about it. And next he goes, who am I that you would plant and, and reproduce? He's awestruck. But then he, I don't know if he manages his heart because he starts looking for a way to produce something for the Lord. Striving comes into play where he spends the rest of his days gathering up things for Solomon. I don't know if God asked him to do that or not. He knew that Solomon was going to be the one to build it, and his heart was so for the temple. But see, God was going, I'm pleased with your worship. Just keep going with me. Just keep worshiping me. Just keep on making a place for me. You know, it makes me ask myself, how often... Do I go from a place of zeal and devotion to the Lord to where I'm like, this can't be enough. I got to make something happen. I got to produce something. I got to start producing something that looks like something. I got I to gotta make it look better, make it look more. When Jesus is going, no, 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 no. I just want your heart. That's all I've ever wanted. From the garden to the, to the tabernacles, I've just wanted your heart. And he, he wants somebody that's going, all the stuff, just all of the ick in there. Just come and sit with me and let's figure this thing out. 
You know, the other story, and I'm going to wind down with this. Well, actually, two, two things. In Acts, when it talks about David, it says that he completed his assignment in his generation. And I honestly think that what that is referring to is that he restored actual worship to the Lord instead of ritual and duty. And then the other thing is that when David, what, what he did in that tabernacle, you see it mimicked in Revelations where the elders are throwing their crowns. It's the same picture. It's this, you know, crowns is just a, way, it's a descriptive term. They don't have actual crowns, or maybe they do have actual crowns. Nonetheless, they're throwing anything that's of stature, of influence, of sophistication, anything that could hold them back from worshiping the Lord because they're seeing something that makes it so much more worthy just to throw it all down and say, I just want you. I see you, and you're holy, and you're worthy, and you're, worth of it, you're worthy of everything. And it's the same 24-7 worship that never ends. I'm going to wind down with this one parable in um, Matthew. And this was the other one that's kind of been spinning around inside of my heart. And we know this one. It's right after, it's right after Jesus comes in on the donkey, so after Palm Sunday, and they throw down their branches, and they go, Hosanna, son of David. And in the fulfillment of a prophecy in Malachi, he's, he's coming back to the temple. So in Matthew 21, 12, it says, Upon entering Jerusalem, Jesus went directly into the temple area and drove away all the merchants who were buying and selling their goods. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stands of those selling doves. Anybody who says emotions don't have a place, you know, better read Matthew. <laughs> because Jesus got angry, and this was righteous. So anger has a place. Just put that out there. Just don't sin in it. Emotions are not bad. I think that that's such a divisive thing that has come. Um, you have those that go, emotions have no place. Um, just they're not important. Shove them and repress them. And then you have midlife crises. And then you have those that are going, I just don't feel like it. And they're really fickle. Those are the ditches. But in the way, God has emotions, and there's a way to honor him with them. So side, side point. All the counselors say amen. Anyway, and he said to them, sorry, going on. So he flips all the tables. And, um, and he says to them, my dwelling place, my house, will be known as a house of prayer. But you have made it a hangout for thieves. Then... Okay, so he flips out those things, and nobody fights with him about it. And then they go, Then the blind and the crippled came into the temple courts, and Jesus healed them all. And the children circled around him, shouting out, Blessings and praises to the Son of David. Before we go on, I'm just going to say one thing. This is less about money, and it's more about crowding the place to come to the Lord. See, the outer courts, there was the outer courts, the inner courts, the Holy of Holies. After David's tabernacle, Solomon built the temple, and this is what it looked like. The outer courts, the inner courts, God was in the Holy of Holies, separated by the veil, never to be talked to, other than one priest once a year. So the outer courts, though, 
This was the place for the Gentiles to come and worship. And what, what the Pharisees had done, because they had a problem with that. They had a big problem with that. They said, uh-uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to set up all these tables here, and people can come and they can buy their sacrifices, and then they can go into the inner courts and make those sacrifices. And what Jesus did by flipping over those tables, he was saying, no, I made it so they can come too. See, this was a spirit of control already in the church. Shoot, right? Man-made rules, man-made limits, man-made boundaries. But Jesus comes in and he's like, mm-mm, this is a place of prayer and people need to come and be able to pray. And so, no. But I love what happened after he did that. You see, then the crippled and the lame and the blind came and Jesus healed them all. And not only that, so we see miracles right away, but we see children began to sing. And they recognized him as the son of David because this mimics this tabernacle that David had built, that this was, this was about coming to God in freedom, in freedom and that all could come no matter what their state. You know, the church, our slogan should be come as you are, but don't stay as you are because you'll meet the king here and he can rearrange some stuff and you'll walk away healed and you'll walk away with the innocent song of children singing Hosanna to the son of David. This place is supposed to be that way. That when, they, when people come, they experience him, and they can come freely. And then, and then when the, well, and then he got in a big fight with the Pharisees. I'm over my time, but I'm just going to say, when I was reading about this, and, and just appreciating the heritage that we have when it comes to worship, the freedom that we have because David fought through, he didn't fight with violence, he fought it with love. And this fragrance that's on the altar, our worship, is something that's so sweet to the Lord. And I just want to encourage you. You know, just like that temple was full of the money changers, full of all these tables. You know, they were charging crazy prices for sacrifices. They just wanted to make it really, really hard. But it was crowded. And our hearts can become crowded. But do you see the simplicity of coming before God and just going, you can have my whole heart. You can have all the messy things. You can have all the beautiful things. You can have all the expression I, I can give you. You can have all of my admiration. You know, um, in visiting with Mary Strauch and worship team, why don't you come? Because we're going to close. But in visiting with my friend Mary Strauch, she had a beautiful, um, something that's kind of been rearranged in my mind. But, you know, forever long, as after this was established, they always struggled with idols. They'd, they'd adopt idols from other towns or other cultures. And the idol, what's the attraction? It's something, Mary said it so clearly, something I made with my hands, something that I've molded instead of something that can mold me. And there are things, and this, this isn't a call to a huge altar call, but maybe just a call to, to begin to question with Jesus or sit down with the Holy Spirit and go, is it crowded in there? Is there freedom? Am I trying to control something? Because Jesus, Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of everything that we have to give. And nothing that we hold back is going to fulfill us like just coming before him in worship. Um, stand with me if you would, church. 
I'm just going to pray over you, and then I think we're just going to worship with another song. And like I said, this is educational. But I want to start or end with where we started, remembering what we have. You know, um, in Revelations, and we all know this passage where it talks about the church of Ephesus, and it says, you do all these things, and they're wonderful. But you've, you've come away from your first love, which means the passion that motivated you at first. The thing that um, made you zealous at first. The thing that caused you to love me at first. You've fallen away from that. And then it says, consider from where you have fallen. And instead of going back to your own history, I think we go back and we look at David's heart because this is where this, this passionate love can be so easily looked at and seen is that he literally, he, had, he came from nothing. He came and he rose with only a promise. But he found God in the middle of the, sh- the pasture with the sheep. He found God in the, as a king. When he stumbled, he steadied himself and he ran to the Lord with repentance in his heart. And he, he did anything he could to create a place where people could come and know God just the way that he um, had experienced him. So let's consider from which, where we have come. And let's just renew. Maybe that isn't you. Maybe you're just as zealous today as you were at once. But let's renew. Renew that love to the Lord. Renew that commitment to the Lord. And renew that worship to Jesus. And, and um, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So let's just pray. So Father, we just welcome you. We give you this highest place. God, we come and we bring you the incense of our heart, the fragrance of our heart. Let it rise. Let that love so rise to your heart, God. We just bless you this morning. And God, I ask that even as we take this next minute or two, I ask that you come and you come and settle upon the hearts in this place. God, that you'd visit with them on the places that you are pulling them and drawing them closer. And I just thank you for your presence that's here. In Jesus' name, amen.
much. It's as we were singing that, I'm just reminded of that thing in Acts. It says, I will restore. I will restore and I will rebuild. And this, he was talking about the church. He was talking about this place that as praise would rise, God would literally respond and fill. And so this morning, I want to sing that again from your own heart. And you don't have to scream. It could just be a whisper, but a sincere whisper. You know, in Isaiah, it says, one of the things that says, you offer incense to me with no sincerity, and it's a stench. And this morning, I don't feel that here. I feel the sweet, I smell the sweet sound, the sweet aroma of worship, the sweet aroma from hearts who are searching. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not far away. You didn't do anything that you couldn't come back from. There is literally an open door. We're going to let this worship rise one more time. And I want you just as a personal thing, I want you to wait and respond to the Lord to answer as you sing it out. As you begin to pour out your love, let him pour out his love. That you wouldn't walk out of this place empty this morning. That you would walk out filled but filled with the water that quenches every thirst. Come on, let's sing this out again one more time. Let's do day and night, day and night.
Let's just put out our hands. I'm just going to bless you. Come on. Oh, Jesus, I just bless everyone that's here this morning. I bless them with your presence, God. Your face looking right at them. God, that you are the source of everything that we search for. And I thank you, God, that you are available and that you are filling them as they're turning their hearts toward you. God, that you've made a temple is not a building, but a temple is our hearts. And God, that you are coming as they praise and filling the temples this morning. I just thank you for it, that you're enthroned on praises and you're filling each heart today. God, with experiences. I thank you that you're, you're stoking hunger this morning. I thank you in Jesus' name that every heart as they're pursuing after you, God, they will be filled. God, because you're turning your eye. I thank you for it. Blessed are you when you are needy because you will be filled. I thank you for it, Jesus. And I speak healing over them. And I speak uh, prosperity over them. And I speak your comfort over them, Jesus. And I bless them in Jesus' name. If you need personal prayer this morning, or if you just need a, a place to come and just visit about the Lord, somebody to agree in prayer with you, we're going to have um, our altar, our prayer altar people up here to agree with you and to, just to speak the word over you. But I just bless you as you go this week. I just encourage you. God is good, and he is for you. And we might just continue to worship, but I just bless you. Um, Amen. Thanks for joining us.